Welcome to the podcast, The Life Makeover Show. A weekly series of convos with everyday women who experience massive shifts in their lives when they park their egos, guilt, and opinion of others. Please join us, Tina Gesso and Susan Hum, co-founders of Love & Sync Dating Website and Life Makeover Collective, to hear the powerful, moving stories of these strong women. We will have open, unpolished conversations about how they got the clarity they needed to get unstuck in some aspect of their life. So they can take decisive action to make massive improvements in their relationships, career, family, and achieve their dreams. In the convo, not only will we highlight the transformations and shifts experienced by our guests, but we will also highlight the process that got them there. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Life Makeover Show. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Hi, Tina. So today's topic is all about success and how to achieve success. And because there are really only two ways of achieving success, Tina and I both represent the far spectrums of how two different types of people can achieve success and really get there and own who they are doing it. So we want to just show everybody that anybody could achieve success and we represent you in either way. And so as long as you know who you are, you're going to get there. So we're going to tell our stories of how we achieve success individually. And then you guys could really get a lot of juice out of this. That's really great, Susan. And what's really great, too, is that, like you said, we represent the two different spectrums of different ways to achieve success. And, you know, in my case, for example, I just wanted to find a career that spoke to my soul, that spoke to my heart, but where there was also a wonderful opportunity where I had basically unlimited income potential. So as soon as I finished my business degree and after having learned French, because I wanted to increase my chances of being successful in my career, I came across this opportunity through a job ad. And I, you know, I had lined up a bunch of other job interviews and this one for this financial services opportunity was the first interview. And after having the interview, I was so damn excited because, you know, it was going to help so many children to finish their university without having any debts. And I had just finished my business degree with a huge student debt. So that really spoke to me. And the guy who hired me said, unlimited earning potential. This is what I'm doing right now. And I thought, I'm helping the world. And I'm really, you know, helping myself at the same time. And really, it's the families that are going to benefit really the most out of this in the long term. I was just beyond the moon excited. And I couldn't wait to get the call back to see if I was accepted for the position or not. And I had a bunch of other job interviews lined up. And you know what? I canceled them all <laughs> because I knew that this was exactly what I wanted to do. So this one is when I was about 21 or so. So I did not really get any formal sales training, even though somebody hired me. But the office, I didn't know that at the beginning, had just opened like a few weeks before, right? So there was nobody there that could even train me. All I knew is that I had this wonderful product and this wonderful earning opportunity. So basically, and I had nothing in the bank. I had used my money to buy a small car to, so that I could, you know, get around Montreal when I had moved here first. And yeah, there was no fallback plan. <laughs> it was all or nothing. And I didn't have family here. I didn't really have any friends here. I simply came to Montreal to begin with in order to keep speaking French because, you know, I had just taken the time to learn it in Quebec City and I was really enthusiastic about speaking French. 
So I just ran with it. And I was, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was going from appointment to appointment and I was closing sale after sale after sale. And at the time, I didn't really understand what I was doing. But as I, you know, gained more experience and started helping out other reps, they were saying, Tina, you're so damn enthusiastic. Like people can't say no to you. (laughs) So I rode that wave of enthusiasm for a while. However, I knew this was great work and I was doing really well. I was winning trips. I was winning contests. Whenever there was a contest on the table, it didn't matter if it was just a set of knives. I was going for that. And that's how I learned to set goals and objectives. At the beginning, I was out gathering experience. I wasn't quite sure what I was doing, but I knew that I had something good. And then I knew the contest really, really got me going. And I won every contest that they put in front of me. So I was very, very fortunate in that, well, fortunate. I think uh, the universe in a way was kind of guiding me because I had set out the intention that I wanted to be very successful. So my business manager introduced me to some thought leaders like Zig Ziglar. I went to a Zig Ziglar talk actually in Ottawa way back when, to Anthony Robbins, to Brian Tracy, Napoleon Hill. And I just started reading and doing you know, what they were suggesting to have business success. You and I talk about this a lot, right? Business strategies. And one of the business strategies is so simple. It's just set your intention and set a goal, right? Start setting goals. And for me, it was what really made a difference is not just setting the goal, is writing the goals down and putting it on a beautiful vision board in front of me of what I wanted to achieve and how I was you know, I had broken up all the big goal into small bite-sized goals, bite-sized in monthly, weekly, and daily activities. So I knew exactly what I had to do every day. And then I just learned more and more and read more and more from all of these thought leaders. And talking about strategic, I found out who was the best in the biz. Whenever I had an opportunity to go on a conference or a trip or just call some of the top people in the industry, I would call them and I would just, you know, spend as much time as possible and pick their brains. What made them successful? And I, you know, basically I borrowed from them. So I put together, you know, things from what they were doing, from what the thought leaders were telling me, from my own experience and from my own perseverance. And I put together my own success formula. And then, you know, we talk about this a lot as well, that it's important to scale yourself. So what I started doing is recruiting. And I was recruiting, you know, people that were willing to learn. You have to find when you're working with people in this way, you have to find people who are coachable. And the people that I was targeting were very, very coachable. And they were big believers in education. I don't think I ever hired anybody who was just in it for the money. They were in it for a bunch of reasons, but primarily because they were honest people and they wanted to do what was right for their clients and ultimately what was right for them and for their families. So every time it was a win, win, win. And why I call that a scalable business is because then I was earning based on the sales of my reps, right? And we talked about that earlier in a live today, just the fact that, you know, when you're like juiced up a bit like this and you're, you're having fun and you're earning a lot of money and uh, you're doing good for so many people. And for me, it was the children. I felt like I was really an advocate for these children. Whenever there were obstacles or economic downturns or a rep was stolen from the, by the competition or walked away for whatever reason, you know, 
those types of obstacles didn't stop me. I had my eye on the prize the whole time because I knew exactly what my goal was, and that was to build the largest agency in the country and to get there as quickly and as efficiently as possible. So I just looked at every one of those obstacles as a learning experience and why I had the motivation and the juice to keep on going. And we had so many conversations about this, right? You kept saying to me, where do you get the energy to keep this machine going and keep these reps motivated and going on the road with them on their appointments and doing the calls with them and everything else, answering calls from clients? It's because I love what I was doing and I just kept my eye on the prize. And the fact that I love what I was doing gave me the juice in order to go forward, right? So I think in general, if you know who you are and you know it's so important to know what lights us up, right? What lights us up, both on a personal level and on a business level. And you know what? A lot of these clients became my friends. So it was filling, you know, fulfilling many of my needs. So, and that kept going, believe it or not, for 32 years, right? 32 years. And during that time, I built myself as a sales rep. I moved all the way up to director. And then the head office, our head office asked me to start building other agencies, other organizations. And I did. I built another three, which at the time I left the company were still standing, right? So basically, I started building the whole sales force in the province of Quebec and uh, did that over all of those years. And I mentioned a stat earlier today that in Canada right now, we have the second highest grade rate or percentage of students who finish university. And when I started off like 30 years ago, we were like 10th in the world and now we're second in the world. And I like to think our company and my contribution has, you know, given, helped give those type of results. Now, we talk about this all the time. You know, one of the things that keeps us going is, you know, our passion, that's for sure. And it gives us the ability at times to what we call grind through certain situations. It's not ideal, but I was able to do that and push through some of those obstacles because that's how I'm built. And I recognize that. I didn't really identify it as a type at the time, right? Now, as we're talking, like after the fact, And especially since we look at our experiences in contrast with each other. We're friends. We've been friends for a long time, over 14 years. We're very different people. And what's cool is to look back at our past experiences and see how we each got to our own level of success and in different ways. Right? So why don't you describe how you got to your level of success between Canada, Asia, and back to Canada again? my god yeah well let's not forget to tell people that you had actually finally left and happily left with <laughs> everything and more without a grind at the end <laughs> that's really important yeah i'm always fascinated by you know i mean we work with a lot of people that don't have success and they don't have any stability and they don't have love so you know i'm always impressed with at least you chose to master yourself in one area, at least, right? If nothing else. And that's impressive that nothing stopped you. Nothing distracted you, which is incredible. But it just goes to show that when you have a grip on that vision, on that end goal, which for you is financial freedom and whatever that meant, there's no stopping you. So I've always had the same goal. So we both have the same goal. 
it's financial freedom. It's just our strategy is very different. That's all. And this is why it fascinates me because I always simplify everything, right? And everybody's goal is financial freedom. It just depends on how you define financial freedom. So I remember, I think I was about 20 or 19 or 20. And I remember I didn't, I was always in debt. I'm like, I think I got comfortable in debt because I never had surplus. <laughs> but I remember there was one time I was a gambler. I was just the rogue of all rogues. I was a gambler. I lost a lot of money way behind. And my boyfriend at that time was paying for my debts. But I remember couldn't even scrape up $3 or $2 for the bus. Wow. And I had to go to my parents' house. And I was walking from my ex-boyfriend's house at that time to my parents. And when you're 19, 20, 10 kilometers feels like 100 kilometers. And I was just hating myself, thinking I didn't even have coins to scrape up to take the bus from my house to my parents' house. And I swore to myself that I will never be a prisoner to this ever. And I grew up watching my parents struggle, working from 10 in the morning to 11 o'clock at night, every day, 365 days a year, with a Chinese restaurant. Of course, it's stigma, but it was a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> either a laundry or a Chinese restaurant. And I said, no, absolutely no thinking way am I going to grind my way through life. And But I don't know any better. That's all I knew. But when I had to walk those 10 kilometers <laughs> and I couldn't scrape up $2, there's a problem. I didn't have a little pink purse that had money in it. <laughs> I had a pink purse that was ripped up with no money in it. So I remember when I I took a Seja deck that will give me, I always took the easy way out. So I'll take whatever shortcut to get me the most money right away. And so I took medical technology, which is where I met Anna, and I knew I was going to get a job right away in a hospital where I could get stability, good pay, whatever. So I, when I graduated, I was doing internship at Royal Vic and Queenie and the Jewish General. And I remember thinking, okay, well, everybody's telling me I can't get a job because students never get hired full-time in hospitals. So I started by befriending everybody in those different departments. I started by, you know what? No, I'm, I'm going to get full-time. I started volunteering at different departments, and I ended up getting a full-time job because of my friendships, relationships. And that was the first moment at 21 that I realized, oh, my God, that's how you make it through relationships. I don't have to fight through the lines of seniority. <laughs> it's like, so when I did get the job in microbiology at the Queenie, I worked there for nearly a year. And I remember thinking to myself, at that time, my ex-boyfriend, we had broken up and it was just a traumatic breakup because I was in my worst fear. And my girlfriend said, why don't we just pick up and go to Hong Kong? Right? And within a month, I quit my job at the hospital because I remember sitting at the hospital that time and I was making in the early 90s, like 47,000. That's a lot when you're 21, right? Or 22. So I said to myself, I'm doing a calculation in my head, 47,000. And with the hospitals, you don't make as you're like valued. There is like this echelon of increase. I'm doing the math. I'm like, oh my God, in 30 years, I'm only going to make 60. <laughs> And I'm like, no. So comfort, security versus I just think I'm going to take off to another continent. I did. And I think I created a whole pattern of whatever was easy and comfortable. I would just 
completely walk away and restart again. So when I went to Hong Kong, they had everybody had told me there's no way I could get a job because I didn't speak Cantonese. So anyway, when I got to Hong Kong, I ran out of money after three weeks, and I thought to myself, "Okay, I have no money, <laughs> not even a penny." And my girlfriend, who of course can work in Hong Kong because she was born there, she gets a job right away at Merrill Lynch, and she goes off to work three weeks into us getting there, and I'm in this dingy cockroach-infested apartment, thinking, "What am I going to do?" Right? And I said. Forget it. So I walked downstairs to the newspaper stand, and I asked the guy in broken whatever language to give me the only English newspaper that they had. And so what I did was I went and, and looked up the one ads, and there was the fitness company, a very high end exclusive fitness agency that was looking for admin assistant or whatever. Mm. And I said, okay, it's the only English thing that, and the name of the interviewer. Was English name, so I'm like, oh, I have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> so I sent in the application by fax because back then it was fax, and I got a call right away to go for an interview. And it's funny because when I went for the interview, you're in your early 20s. Who the heck is going to give you a work visa with no experience? You only get work visas when you bring in a specific skill. But I did have a skill, according to them, and I was going to be their translator because she was so. Enlightened by my English, even though it was my only language. But anyway, needless to say, I ended up working there for four years, even after I they completely realized that I'm not what they thought. But the whole point is, I think every time, and I was making a lot of money in that firm. Like every year, I would ask for raises because I knew what I brought was valuable. Right? It was my connections, my ability to connect with people and build relationships. And so, after four years, I was at the level where it was unrealistic. I knew that what I earned, what they had given me, is just me asking for it, but it doesn't reflect my skills. I didn't have any real skills. I didn't finish university, right? So then, I actually left and took a job with a thirty percent cut to go into sales because I got a free car. <laughs> <laughs> I hated sales. And this is the whole thing. I think I adopted life strategies very early on. It wasn't even business strategies. It was life strategies. And it's strategies that can be applied to every aspect of your life, whether it's career, business. But life strategies is the one thing that I learned to master. Because when you have life strategies mastered, I can go into whatever situation and restart again. So at the age of 27, I took on that job in sales and got trained, even though I hated sales. But a company car is worth the hate of the, the whole. And I remember being trained in sales, doing the cold calls and all that kind of stuff. Hated every minute of it. But thank God, my best friends were in the company. We were all drinking buddies. But I always turned everything into the greatest relationships and friendships and fun and party. To be able to get through the really difficult, like grinding, ickiness of the work, right? And so, to me, the only thing I wanted in life was love. And so, financial freedom came with love. Mm -hmm. I knew that I could not have that as my target because my target is love. So I remember knowing that even though I didn't have the love, I was single for ten years. I knew I had to create my success 
with love as the target. You see? So it's really interesting how we both have financial freedom, but how we got there was that we owned and really aligned with what is our true target. My target was financial freedom as well, but the primary one is love. Mm. But because I didn't have love at that time, I'm not going to wait to love. I'm going to build my financial freedom just in case you never know. <laughs> Contingency A to Z. But yeah, so that's how, you know, and, and I just gave everything up in Asia. Again, every time I hit massive financial success, when it got too easy, I would let it all go. And then I would go and rebuild myself up again. So when I left everything in Asia to come back, because I did meet love, and it wasn't easy. I went back to school and did my finance and then started all over again. But I always stayed in sales. So you and I both went into the same industry for different reasons. But in my mind, success, money without love is not success to me. Mm -hmm. To me, success is love with the money. So we all have our different meanings of success, whatever that is. As long as you do achieve success in one way or another. But to me, I was never going to be successful if I didn't have love with me. That's how I saw life. That's really interesting. You had it all in one kind of pot in front of you. Whereas with me, it was more linear, right? I remember my dad saying to me from a very young age, Tina, you can do anything you want in life. This is what you got to do. You got to go to school. You got to get a great job and a great career. Then you can think about marriage, right? And I didn't realize the impact that that statement on me, right, at the age of eight would have on me for my whole life. So my whole focus, it wasn't as if I wasn't having fun in the meantime. When I went to university and I was building my career, for sure I had friends. There were lots of boyfriends. <laughs> there, was, there was a really good time. But I wasn't focused on finding the one until I had all my ducks in order because I had that linear point of view, right? So I knew love was going to be coming and for sure I was going to be going for it, but I had to get my career on track first. That was for me. And then as it turns out, you know, I think you have more options open to you if you're successful in your career. You have more options open to you in love, potentially, right? Because you are independent. And it's not just that. I think just being financially independent gives you a different layer of confidence, right? Oh, Which yeah. Active, right? Yeah. When I was single for 10 It makes you very interesting. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because for me to build success when I was single, while I was waiting for the one or, you know, waiting for that moment, I wasn't going to sit back and not achieve my own success because that's what builds your confidence, right? So I didn't want to meet the one. In my vision, meeting the one was not me needy, right? It's like me bringing something to the table. So I've always been strategic, completely strategic in life, right? I had to marry somebody that will serve my path as well, right? Not just money. I wanted somebody who could serve my path in all levels of life. So I nailed it, everything exactly strategically. And it wasn't planned that way. It's just, that's what I wanted. So therefore that's because I want it easy. I want it with ease. I want never to grind. That's not my, otherwise I would have stayed at the Chinese restaurant. So, <laughs> but no, but you know, and it's funny because, and that's why a thinker is analytical. 
analytical is linear. Exactly. A feeler is all over the place. And I did my university at 32, not at 21. But I always knew that there's nothing wrong with that, even though everyone was telling me there's something wrong with that. So to go against the grain to fight for who I was is still grinding it, but it's grinding truth. Mm-hmm. Still working within truth, you see. You know what really strikes me about your story is the fact that you basically were so clear on who you were and where your strengths were. And you were operating, I think, a lot from instinct. You were following a very strong instinct. You were listening to your inner truth, right? Without maybe being able to identify it as such at the time. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure. But where that got you, right? So it's a lesson for all of us out there, for everybody out there, that once you can connect with that inner truth and always trust it and follow it, even though sometimes it's scary and you're taking risks, right? It always pays off in the end. And ultimately, in a way, it's interesting because you say you were taking the easy route in a lot of ways because you were trying to find, you know, ways that work fairly fast for you to have success. But on the other hand, you chose the husband that you have in your life because, and that wasn't, he's a wonderful guy. I don't want to make any (laughs) indications of that. It's just that you have very different characters, right? And typically we want people choose someone that's, you know, very similar to them so they can get along easily all the time. But you chose directly and on purpose, someone that's almost your polar opposite and how you've been able to grow through that. It's just been amazing. And it's actually not with the, just with that. I mean, one of your first jobs was hugely challenging to you, especially since you didn't speak the language. <laughs> and that was a risk and you learned a lot. And, you know, you took risk and you fell on your face a few times, right? Like we all do. I could write a book on failure. <laughs> failure and rejection, it's become numb to me. But I think, you know, and this is the interesting thing. Eh? If, if you and I would have spoken about this very thing 15 years ago, would that have changed your course? I mean, you know what? If, if we would have talked on this level, no, you know what? It wouldn't because I remember when you had made the declaration, I'm done with my career. And I remember saying to you, are you finished? with the grind because you had declared it already (laughs) it's like you know it's just ejecting you right (laughs) that's a really great point and that was a really pivotal moment and that was five years before I actually left financial services and it's always starts with an intention I put out the intention right at the beginning of my career that I wanted to be hugely successful and that's why I chose that career and the moment I said you know I'm basically done I've done everything that I can and I'm you know it's really time for a change and I didn't move out of it I didn't make the moves that I needed to and there was a bunch of reasons you know why that wasn't happening you know this was my baby all of these years that I had grown by myself essentially I was very successful at it and it becomes your identity after a while. So it took me five years to leave. And as you know, because it was, I'm sure, very painful for you to watch at times, you know, with the different things that were happening, you know, reps were actually dying. A couple of my best reps actually passed away. Uh, God bless them. And also there were some reps who were, you know, they went away for whatever reason. They took their retirement. Head office was just causing me no end of grief. And I just kept going. 
right? And I was able to keep the ship steady. And actually, at the in the last year, I actually grew my sales by over twenty percent. But man, that was rough. That was tough. And grind, grind, grind. I was working. It practically. took everything out of you. Oh my it, god! Like it made the job not even fun and worthwhile anymore. And I think you've just proven that you can achieve whatever you set out to achieve, but at what cost? And we always have to remember that. And it should never cost you anything. Everything should be in flow. And when you make a declaration and an intention, follow it through as per your initial heart's desire. And I think it's funny because you are a true hunter. A true hunter you can see it in your young, young children. True hunters are those that will sit outside and sell Kool-Aid or lemonade because they see opportunities. And people like me is just floating around and somehow money just comes because I have friends. But, you know, because hunters yeah. build relationships and friendships and they're very strategic in that way, whereas the hunters go in and they see the opportunity, they meet people, they connect, and they're connectors. You know what I mean? So you mean the farmers, the farmers build the relationships. Yeah, farmer. So the hunters are, they have this eye for connection. It's the instant connection that hunters have. They see it and there's an instant attraction, right? So it's, you do it with ease. You just stand there, it's like, boom, the man there, right? Me is sort of like, well, no, because I'm kind of like the anti-magnet. So, you know, but it's long sustaining. So people usually help farmers along the way. And that's why it becomes easy. But if I ground it, like every single sales director tried to get me to do, I would have failed big time. It didn't feel right. Right. That's the key to being a good sales director, right? Recognizing the talents and the way of learning of your rep and the person you have in front of you and let them flourish on their own terms. Right? Yeah, that's what I did in Singapore when I went there and everybody in that team, I only had three and a half years to turn that company around. And if I didn't identify each one's soul and coach them or manage them based on their personal heart and not what they had to bring to the company... I would never have been able to do it. I had too much against me. They don't know me. I don't speak the language. There's no trust. So I had to really go into the whole life thing, give them something in their life, not thinking about the money. So if I would have thought about the money, it would have disconnected me from their heart. So that's why recognizing the audience and who you're dealing with is key to getting that deep trust. And thank God I didn't listen to anybody. It's a bit of a lonely road when you go against what everybody says your truth should be, but it's worth it in the end because you will get everything you want. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think we've got several takeaways here today, right? The difference between that there's basically two different types of philosophies in terms of being successful out there. You can say, you know, you're either you fall within generally the category of hunter or farmer it doesn't mean they're mutually exclusive and that you can't use certain things on each side or display those tendencies. But what comes naturally is typically one and then just running with whatever it is. And if your body or how you're reacting to somebody else's sales philosophy doesn't work with you and your body is giving you those signals and it just doesn't feel right, then maybe explore the other end. Maybe you're the hunter and you need to be more the farmer or vice versa, right? So that's really important. 
and not one is better than the other. It's just the, the magic is really figuring out who you are and going with that, right? That's what makes our business successful is because you run in your lane, I run in mine, and sometimes the lane merges a bit, but it goes back into their own lanes. We do not infringe on each other's lanes and crash into each other. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that works really, really well. I mean, you're really a master coach and you're so great at putting together these programs and whatnot. And with myself, you know, I'm really great at networking and building systems and the relationships with everybody that's around us in our business. And that's huge. And it works in unison. And I don't think it would work as well if we were both exactly the same, just like it would be a completely different friendship if we were any different than we are right now. Right. And different is good. That's basically it. Different is good. We all bring our strengths to the table. There's no competition here. And it's just about elevating each other in the, at the end of the day, right? Finding out who you are, owning it and uh, yeah, working collaborative in a collective way. So that brings us to the end of our time. This was really great, Susan. Thank you so much. Is there any final thoughts before we sign off? No, thank you. I think we've shared everything we shared to everybody with regards to just be, be who you are and don't be afraid to impress people with the beauty of who we are and sell your beauty. That's it. Just go out there and be who you are. Beautiful. Okay. Thank you everybody for joining and we'll see you next time. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Life Makeover Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. We really value your opinion. So please feel free to send us your questions, comments, or feedback. You can find out more about Tina Gesso and Susan Hum and the Life Makeover Show podcast at www.lifemakeovercollective.com. Thanks for listening.